Why are the nations restless and the people have plotting in vain? The kings on earth of earth take their stand, and the rulers comprise together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let's tear the shackles apart and throw their ropes away from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will announce the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have fathered you. Ask it of me, and I will certainly give the nation as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now then, you kings, use insight. Let yourselves be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverence, enjoy and tr with trembling. Kiss the sun so that he not be angry and perish on the way. For his wrath may be kindled quickly. How blessed are we who all take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Isaac. Great work, buddy. Good morning, your royal highnesses. Some of you may not think of yourselves as royalty, uh, but the middle school students and I have considered this fall that an essential aspect of God's purpose for human life is that we will be rulers. We've looked together at Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. Now, when most of us think of rulers, we're apt to think of kings and queens presidents and prime ministers, or maybe leaders within organizations and teams. But we all have the opportunity for personal rulership over things that we have been set in charge of. Everyone has an area over which they exert influence, and in that sense, we are all rulers. And so when we hear rulers of the earth in Psalm 2, our ears should perk up. Oh, he's talking about us. And now the question is, how do we rule? When I was growing up, I learned about ruling from two things. One was the Disney classic Lion King, and the other was the board game Risk. And in the Lion King, I saw two examples of rulers, Mufasa and Scar. And I could see very easily that one was a good ruler and one was not. And today we'll see how Psalm 2 can help us learn how to be good rulers like Mufasa. I also learned about ruling from the board game Risk. I don't know if you've played it, but I've spent many a long night and many a long car ride playing the game of Risk. Yes, we had a magnetic board. <laughs> In Risk, every player's objective is to take over the world by getting control of the most territory and having the largest army. But I've come to find that God has something more for his rulers than fighting each other to get security like players in a game of risk. This Advent, we'll be looking into the book of Psalms. 
And the Psalms offer a different world from the world of risk, where God is active, where He's a refuge, a fortress, a shield, a high tower. There is security available for us beyond just pushing our agenda against others when we take refuge under Him, the true King. So to catch this vision, we get to dig into Psalm 2 together. And before we do, would you please pray with me? Dear God, we ask that you would please help us to catch the vision of the real opportunity it is for each of us to come under your rulership to rule with you. Please help us see that taking refuge in you is the best place for us to be. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why are the nations restless and the peoples plotting in vain? We can pick up on the fact that these rulers are already not off to a great start. We hear of restless nations, and it sounds not dissimilar to what's going on in our day. And I emphasize the word plotting. It doesn't come through in English, but the original language, in the original language, this same word in this is the same word that is used in Psalm 1, meditates. In Psalm 1, we're told about a person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. Jesus said the two most important commandments in the law were to love God with all the different aspects of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. The key word here is love. When I am loving those around me, I am prepared to do what is good for them. If I love my wife, my children, my parents, my family, my neighbor, I am considering what is good for them and acting accordingly. I am paying attention to them. That's what Psalm, the Psalm 2 per, I'm sorry, that's what this Psalm 1 person is aiming at. What is good for others? What is good for God? So they meditate day and night on God's law, gaining an expansive view of what's good for God and others. Now, what are these people in Psalm 2 meditating on? It says their plotting is in vain. Let's see if we can get a better sense in the next verses. Verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's tear their shackles apart and throw their ropes away from us. They're conspiring against God's ways of love and flourishing. Why? They want something more then they want the flourishing of other people. Now, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but it does to me. It's a sad reality of human life. Sometimes there are things that we want, and there's a legitimate expression of that that would be good for us and might even be good for those around us, but in our obsession with it, we begin to lose perspective. In our excitement over what we want, we lose the ability to see that there are higher goods at stake than this particular expression of what we want. The Lion King gives us a great picture of this. When good King Mufasa is in charge, he wanted everything to flourish. He speaks fondly of the circle of life. He delights in it. And I love this image. He's looking down on the kingdom with his son, his anointed ruler, after him. Taking in the broad horizon... They can see the whole picture. They can see what's good for the people under their influence. Ooh, might need to check on the antelopes. See? 
Under their rule, the pride lands flourish. But when Scar gains control of the kingdom, he doesn't have this expansive view. He only cares about himself. And so instead of sitting up high, he spends most of his time in his room, fixating on what he wants, developing a sort of tunnel vision. What he wants begins to look very big, everything else pretty small. Seeing to the good of those under his influence does not seem as important as long as he's pursuing what he wants. Under his rule, the pride lands dry up. This is a picture of rulers who go wrong, and it comes to us now. In, so far in this introduction to the book of Psalms, we've seen two ways, two meditations. Psalm 1 showed us meditation on God's law, on love, what is good for God and for others. It turns out when they meditate and delight there, it says they're like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. They're tying into God's larger purposes, tying into ultimate reality. I've heard one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, say, ultimate reality is God and what he's doing. And they're tying into that. They're flourishing. And so is everything and everyone they influence. But Psalm 2 shows us another meditation, vanity or plotting in vain. Rulers with agendas who say, let's break free. Their vain meditation has led them to a place of tunnel vision. They're so caught up in what they want that they're not going to make good rulers. Everything in their rule, including themselves, isn't flourishing. It's on a collision course with reality. It's not looking good. And the author just lays these two out to us. It doesn't say which to take. Which will we take? The larger story of Psalm 2 is that God has made not only his law available, but also his king. Effective rulers meditate on the law, and effective rulers take refuge in the king. Misguided rulers meditate on immediate wants, and they take refuge in human power. We pick up in verse 4 of Psalm 2 in which God makes his first appearance as a character in the book of Psalms. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Why does he laugh? It's not like God is just another player in the game of risk, laughing because he has a bigger army than everyone else. It's more like these human rulers are the plastic pieces on the board and God is the one playing the game. He's the creator of the game, and he's active in the game on a different level. And so he laughs. And then, he, verse 5, he speaks. Then he will speak to them in his fury, in his anger, and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will announce the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have fathered you. Ask it of me, and I will certainly give the nations as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. 
And there's a lot going on here. It can be hard to track. But we need to get into the shoes of the original audience here to help make better sense of this. The original audience would immediately connect this to 2 Samuel chapter 7, in which God promises King David that he will raise up a king from his own lineage and that he will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The original audience also hears God say, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Not I will, I have. How could that be true? Well, they also understood that God himself was a king and that his temple was on Mount Zion. Psalm 145 begins, I will exalt you, my God, the king. And then in verse 13, we read, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. So maybe in another sense, God is that king. And they know God has all the power. So if God is already installed as king, why is he letting the human power games continue? Why not just say, game over, I win? Those who wrote and received the Psalms could make sense of that too. They could see that even as things in the human power game might not look good for them, God was a king in whom they could take refuge, that he was a fortress, a shield, a high tower. And they knew that a person could get in on God's purposes now and flourish in that. And in that way, they could enter his rule now. That's the way of Psalm 1. That is God's way of reigning over human history now. It's not a reign that is imposed upon us. It is a reign that we are invited to join. And some aren't too sure about the invitation. Not sure if they can trust it. God doesn't impose his reign on them either, but he still invites them into it. It's almost as if God were standing over human life like a game of risk, and his goal is not just to end the game, but he is welcoming the other pieces to rule with him, to interact with him and with each other on a level beyond the board game. And some of the pieces catch this vision. They accept his invitation and take their reign into his. They're the Psalm 1 pieces, inviting the other pieces to work together and build good things for the flourishing of all the kingdoms. And the Psalm 2 pieces aren't sure. They're like, this isn't risk. How do I know what you're doing is safe? I don't know if I can trust it. I'd better carve out some security for myself. So instead of taking the creator up on his invitation to rule with him, they tighten up their grip and try to push their way. Human rulers have to decide what rule will they choose. That invitation is extended to us. What will we choose? To all human rulers, the author of Psalm 2 writes, in Psalm 2 verse 10, Now then, you kings, use insight. Let yourselves be instructed, you judges of the earth. What do you think, judges? Make a judgment. Serve the Lord with fear. Serve the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. When you fear God, when you re revere God, everything under your influence can be set in terms of what is good for God 
and is good for others. And in that, you can tremble at the greatness of what you're involved in, but you can rejoice in the refuge that is there. And then verse 12, kiss the son, that he not be angry, and you perish on the way. For his wrath may be kindled quickly. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. And we see this about the king's anger, and it can make us nervous. We're used to a scar kind of anger, where the king, absorbed in his own agenda, views his subjects as lesser than, as if they're worthless. And if they cross his will, they're not as important as his agenda, so he'll lash out at them in anger and hurt them. God isn't like that. God is a king with the most expansive view of all. And he always sees the great worth of every human being. And if they cross God's will, they are his agenda. And so he won't lash out and hurt them. His anger is in defense of what is actually good. And he's in a position to know. We read, you perish in, on the way here in, in, in this last verse. And I emphasize the way. The way refers back to the last verse of Psalm 1 where it says, the way of the wicked will perish. By not tying into God and what he's doing in choosing what is wrong for them and for those under their influence, they are on a collision course with reality. So we get the advice to kiss the sun. And you, know, you think... You know, what, what, are we, what are we talking about? Kiss the sun. Um, the original audience would have been able to make the connection to ancient rulers who would kiss the feet of another ruler to come under their protection. So they bring their rulership under the mightier ruler. So we hear kiss the sun. Who's the sun? David's anointed ruler? God? Yes, and we know his name. Should we bring our rulership under his? Yes, that's where real refuge is. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. When God fulfills his promise to David, he actually becomes a human being and enters human history. In Luke chapter 2, we read that Caesar Augustus is sending everyone in his empire to their hometown to be counted for a census. And you've got to think, if you're God and you're going to become a human being, how about becoming Caesar Augustus? You know, that's, that's real power, right? But in Luke chapter 2, we read this. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Instead of becoming Caesar, he becomes a little baby in the middle of Caesar's kingdom 
And instead of receiving a king's welcome, he can't even find a place to sleep at night. Why would he do it this way? He's not just interested in imposing his rule over us. He's interested in inviting us into it. God the Son, God in the flesh, Jesus invites us to enter his rule. When that little baby grows up, his message is, repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. The kingdom of God is available to you. The invitations are out. Will they accept? Some do, some don't. It comes all the way to us today. Will we accept? If we were pieces on a risk board, imagine our shock when the Creator Himself enters the game. Not as a piece leveraging power over the other pieces, but playing the game in a different way. If we're caught up in His purposes, we are welcomed into the game on a higher level. And we're good at the game. Whatever we do prospers. But what if human power come together and try to get rid of that peace? Try to get rid of us too. That's where we have to recognize we are aligned with the creator of the game. And what might look like defeat or annihilation can actually be victory. This is the vision of the Psalms we can be caught up in this Advent. So now, your royal highnesses, it comes to you and it comes to me. Where will we meditate? Will we take the invitation? Will we kiss the sun? Can we catch this vision? Why don't we ask for it together? Please pray with me. God, thank you. Please give us a vision of our life with you, bringing our reign into yours. Right now, I invite those praying with me to call out to you for refuge. Please meet each one right where they are. Thank you for your word. In King Jesus' name we pray. Amen.